Uh, my message today is called Living in Denial. And I'm not talking about the kind of denial that, that we think of where we think of, we probably know some people that are living in denial. People that think they are better looking than they really are. I know a few people that are guilty of that. Uh, people that think they're taller than they are, I'm probably guilty of that. Um, I have two middle schoolers, and I can assure you they're both in denial about a lot of things. Um, that's not the kind of denial I'm talking about. I'm talking about the denial of self that God calls us to. In fact, uh, I'm going to borrow a phrase from Mr. Todd Rines that sits back there at the soundboard. I was talking to him between services, and he said he, said he believes that the road to freedom in our life is paved with self-denial. Such a beautiful statement. And I'm going to read a verse from Jesus in Mark, or I'm sorry, in Luke 9. It's in 9, 23 to 24. Jesus, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, that's a, that's a pretty heavy verse to start off with right out of the gate. I realize that. Uh, and I, I realize I'm also probably going to step on some toes today, and I, that's not my heart. I'm going to try to step gently. I'm kind of stepping on my own toes, too. This isn't necessarily a really popular message, but I believe that uh, despite what this verse may feel like when you initially read it, I believe that there's freedom that comes from understanding this verse. I believe that, there, that, that the freedom that comes from surrendering ourselves to Jesus is something we can only experience if we are willing to step out of faith and do it. And it's, it's our responsibility to understand that and to walk in that. Uh, I highlighted daily on that verse because I think that word is so important there because Jesus said that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, which tells me, first of all, that uh, it's not a one-time thing. We don't come to an altar, say a prayer, and say, God, I gave you my life. I surrender myself to you. I'm denying myself today. I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following you. And then we walk away, and we just kind of do our own thing. Jesus knows that the flesh is really powerful. The flesh inside of us, there's nothing good that resides in any one of us, right, other than the Holy Spirit. So that's why Jesus is saying, listen, you have to do this daily. Don't think this is going to be an easy one-time thing. I need you to understand that it's a daily occurrence in your life where you're going to have to make a conscious decision to say, today my flesh is not going to rule over me. My flesh is not going to have its way in my life. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to live in denial. And I'm going to give everything that I am to my Lord and Savior. It's so important that we understand that it is a daily thing, which also tells me that this is a figurative thing. Okay? Jesus is not telling us to go kill ourselves. He's not saying, because we know the cross is a symbol of death. And the, to take up your cross and carry it, that's a one-way trip. You know, Jesus took a, he took a one-way trip to the mount, to, to uh, Calvary, to, to, to give his life up for each one of us. When you take up your cross, you're not coming back. But the irony in this is that Jesus knows that because it is figurative, that he knows we're probably going to want to come back. And we're going to try to do it on our own again. He's saying, no, you got to do it again. Each morning, you know, his mercies are new every morning, but our flesh is new every morning too. And sometimes our flesh isn't even new just in the morning. In fact, you may, you know, after this message today, it may touch your heart. You may say, Lord, this is what I needed. I've been, I've been in the flesh lately. I just haven't been denying myself. I've been feeding my flesh more. And I'm really going to recommit to giving you everything. And you're going to be excited. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to feel great. And by the time you get to your car, the enemy in your flesh is going to start lying to you and saying, you don't need that junk. That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't even, his, his suit is too small for him. He's short. I don't even know who he is. He's not even the pastor of that church. Why are you listening to him? You know, that's what the enemy's going to tell you. That's what your flesh is. And you might not even make it to your car before you start feeling that. And that's why in Jesus, he should have said, you know what? You need to take up your cross hourly. Amen. I mean, because daily is almost not enough sometimes. But the heart of God is that, that we would deny ourselves. But it's not to deny ourselves just for the sake of, 
you know, so we can just be kind of downtrodden and have our heads down and, and just be these all shucks Christians. He's doing it because he knows that if we will surrender ourselves and we will deny ourselves, that's where the real power of the Holy Spirit comes in us and empowers us to live for him, right? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Man, you guys are pumped up today. It's going to be easy to preach. So I want to talk to you, first of all, about change, okay? Um, and I'm not talking about the kind that rattles in your pocket. I'm talking about the, the change in you. Um, because we all desire something in our life. We'd like for something in our life to change. In fact, if I were to ask you, okay, uh, I have the power today. I have a magic wand and I have the power to change one thing in every one of your lives today. What would you tell me you'd like for me to change for you? Just to think about that. And if we're being honest and we're in church, so we have to be, then we would, most of us would probably think of something original. First off the bat, we think of something superficial, something personal or like physical, you know, maybe you want to be taller. I know I keep talking about being short. I just, I just wanted to be taller when I was younger, you know, when I stopped growing and I realized I was still looking at people's chins and noses, that was not easy for me to accept for a while. Um, but I have accepted it. And frankly, you could see the, the rule here is you can't preach unless you're no taller than five, six. So, um, sorry, Haley, you'll never have a chance. <laughs> Um, but, but if you would want to change something, you know, maybe it's, you know, you, you wish your, your eyes were different. Maybe you wish your nose was shaped different or your ears, or you, you want to be skinnier. A lot of us want to be skinnier, especially the older we get, you know, we, we keep trying to get skinnier. Then as, as you get older and older, you give up on getting skinny and you just try to get better clothes to cover it better. But, uh, but that, you know, we all want to change those things. In fact, doctors have made a mint off of our insecurities about our physical appearance. Amen. And, uh, there's a lot of doctors driving around in Mercedes because of that. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to take care of your physical body at all. Uh, the, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We should be taking care of ourselves. Um, but I would even say, I would go as far as to say most of the things we want to change about the outside is the result of something on the inside that we don't feel like we can fix. So we deal with the outside instead of the inside. And what God really wants to do is he wants to deal with the inside. We all have something that's inside of us that we would like to change if we could. And we maybe even ask God to change it. Maybe you've even prayed about it a lot and you don't feel like you were able to get victory over it in your life. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you have a short temper. Maybe you're just wired to have a short fuse and a quick temper. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're a pushover and you can't stand up for yourself. Or maybe you're greedy. Maybe greed just always rears its ugly head in your, in your life and you, you don't want to be that way, but you just don't seem, you can't seem to get a grasp on it in your life and you can't seem to, to, uh, to not allow money to kind of rule over you. Um, maybe you're critical. Maybe you have a critical tongue. You find yourself criticizing things all the time. You don't like it, but you just can't get over it. You can't get victory over it. Uh, maybe it's lust, you know, for men and women that struggle with lust, that whether it's a, a sexual lust or if it's just a lust for the things of the world, just wanting something covetously that we want when we want it for our own personal gratification. And we just don't seem to be able to get past it. And so maybe for some of us, in some cases, we've just kind of given up and said, well, I'm just going to have to kind of deal with that. But I, I want to challenge you today that I believe that we can get victory over those things in our life because that's the way God designed it for us. And uh, I, would, I want to start today by just giving you a couple points that I think about bringing lasting change in your life, okay? Things that I think are keys to lasting change. Because I think some of us have felt like maybe God doesn't care about certain issues in our life. Like if it's something that you're dealing with and you think, well, maybe it's just, maybe God's just not hearing me. Maybe he doesn't care. And you start to get skeptical about, about your relationship with the Lord and about whether or not you're even saved or whether or not God really cares about the intimate details of our life. But I want to encourage you today that he does care. Yeah. He cares a lot. And I, I'm going to show you what's, what's standing in the way of a lot of this, I believe. So first of all, with bringing lasting change, I would suggest to you today first that change only comes from the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Lasting change only comes from the Spirit of God indwelling in us and manifesting in our lives. 
And some of you may say, oh, well, that's not true. Because, you know, there's non-Christians. There's people that don't know Jesus that can make changes in their life. And, and you're right. You can have change. If you're determined, if you're somebody that's just determined and you're going to grit your teeth and you're just going to determine that you're going to change something and, and, uh, and you work really hard at it, um, you can sometimes get some success in that temporarily. But to really get ultimate success and to have ultimate victory in an area of your life, it's almost impossible to do it without the Holy Spirit. I, I like to compare it to... Uh, if you were, you know, if I were to go out here after church and get, get my car and put it in neutral and push it um, with the help of a couple of people, I could probably get it to my house and get home. But we would really, really struggle to get there. And frankly, if you drove past me and saw me, you would assume my car was broken down. And then when I would tell you, no, I just wanted to push it home, you would tell me that I need to go to the hospital and get my head examined, right? Because that's not how we do. Because even though it could work, I could still get it there with enough determination the fact of the matter is there's a motor in that car that's designed to make that car go with me just doing little effort. Now, um, now that's not a great analogy because it's not about little effort for us. But what I'm saying is that there is help for us. There is a motor that God has designed in each one of us that is going to help us to succeed and be victorious to get to where he wants us to be. If we will take advantage of that, if we will let that manifest in our lives. Um, John 16, 13. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says... But when he, the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, spirit is capitalized there. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I would like to suggest to you today that most of the negative uh, manifestations in our lives, whether it's what I talked about, greed, lust, um, anger, whatever it is, most of that that manifests in our life, it is a result of us not believing the truth of God's word. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us into his truth. And I'll give you an example. If for some of us, maybe some of you are worriers in here, that's, that's a very common thing. If you want to, um, if you want to get a response from a congregation, you can preach on worry and anxiety and fear, and it will touch 90% of the people in your congregation because it's something that we are constantly as humans dealing with. And if you, let's say you worry about money and it's just hard for you to not let it make you anxious and worrisome and you worry every week about having enough to do what you want to do and paying all your bills and getting ahead and having a savings account so you can retire one day and not, not have to live just on social security and, and whatever. You just can't help not worrying about finances. Um, I, would, I would suggest to you, or I would let you know, and you know this, that the Bible talks about God as our provider, right? And it's, you know, it's one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. And he's our provider. And so we know that he is our provider. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We can just quote verses that talk about how God will take care of us all day long, but we can't stop worrying about our finances. That tells me that at the core of who you are, that you don't really believe that God's your provider. You can't believe that, that the God of the universe, the one that holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand, you can't believe that he is your provider and worry about finances. You can't do it. Now, that's not to beat anybody up. I deal with it too. I deal with it sometimes because, I, because you start to rationalize. You start to think, well, I've seen a lot of people who love God that have struggled with finances. So that must not be true then. But the fact of the matter is uh, just because he's our provider doesn't mean that he's just going to give us everything we want to, to, make, to fulfill every need we think we have. What he's going to do is he's going to make sure we're taken care of. He's our heavenly father and he is going to provide for us. But the reason we worry and don't have victory in our life in that is because we don't really believe the truth of his word that tells us that he is going to provide for us. And that's where we need to understand that we need the Holy Spirit to help bring that change in our life. We need the manifestation of his spirit in each one of us to bring that change. Um, I would tell you today that, and this, this, is, this can be a, a hard word to hear sometimes too for all of us, 
But to really, to understand, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do to bring change in our life, it's all about surrender for us. We have to surrender ourselves. You know, surrender is not a great word. That's not the word that, that pumps us all up. Yeah, I want to surrender. That's awesome. You know, surrender in, in every other aspect of the world is a terrible thing. But in our Christian life, it's a good thing because when we surrender to him, we are allowing him to take his place. We sang a song today that says, Jesus, take your place. You know what his place is? It's to, it's to be in the driver's seat for each one of us. That's his place in our life. And if he's in the driver's seat, then we have to surrender. He's not going to push us out of the way, guys. He doesn't do it. He's not going to come in and force us over. You know, my kids fight to get in the front seat when we go to, when we go to somewhere. Or anytime we get in the car, they're fighting over that front seat and they're pushing. And, you know, it's whoever's got the strongest hips that day kind of gets the seat they want. That's not Jesus. He doesn't do that. Jesus is like, you want the driver's seat? It's yours. You know, I'm not going to force my way in. And so we have to surrender. That's why Jesus says we have to deny ourselves. Jesus doesn't say he's going to make us deny ourselves. He's saying you have to choose daily to deny yourself, to surrender to him, to allow him to have his place and to do his work in your life. And I would tell you today that our nature is in direct contrast to the nature of God. Our nature, whatever's in your nature is the exact opposite of the nature of God. And I, I would beg you guys today, and I'm talking to myself too, because I need to hear this just as much as all of us do, that I, I, want, I want us to trade the natural for the supernatural. To get the supernatural in our life, we have to be willing to give up the natural. We have to be willing to surrender, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to die to ourselves. Not just deny, but to die to ourselves. I have no rights, Jesus. My life is yours. You can have it. It takes all the pressure off of us, really. There's no pressure on us to do or be what, what we want to be because we're saying, okay, God, you're in the driver's seat. You take me where you want me to go, and I'm going with you, and I'll do exactly what you tell me to do. And when we do that, we see the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So secondly, I would tell us that we have to check our motives. Now, this is another hard one to hear because um, motives are, are a tough thing to, to really get under control. You know, our motives, they, they kind of are what they are, but... Uh, but if we are really trusting the Lord, we can know that, that our motives can come under the, the authority of Jesus too. We have to always, always, always be inspecting our motives. Always. Like, I don't think that the flesh never completely dies until we go to be with Jesus. It will never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. And I would tell you that our def default motive in our, each one of our lives, for you and for me, our default is for self-preservation and self-promotion. That's the default setting. If you, want to, if you want to know how you're made, how you're, create, or how you're wired, it is for self-promotion and self-preservation. And we have to deny that. We have to consciously deny doing that. Um, let's look at James 4 in, in verse 3. James is talking. He's talking about when you pray. He's saying, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's a tough word. James is not for the, the faint of heart. If you don't want to hear the hard truth, don't read James because he tells it the way it is. He said, you do not receive because when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. God cares about our motives. And this tells me that he does not answer self-centered prayers. I'm not making that up. That's straight out of the word of God. He does not answer self-centered prayers because his, his biggest concern isn't about our pleasure. He's saying, you don't get what you ask for because you want it for your own pleasure. Now you would say, well, doesn't God care about our pleasure? Of course he does. He wants, us to, he wants us to enjoy life. He's a good, the Bible talks about him being a good father. Any, any parents here in the house know that you want your kids to enjoy their life. I want my kids to have, have good things. I want them to be healthy and, and succeed and prosper in life, but not at the expense of what's best for them. 
I'll say that again. I want them to have good things, but not at the expense of what is best for them. And God knows what is best for us is, for, is that our life glorifies Jesus. That's first and foremost. And that's what our motive is all about. That's why one person, one person can pray for one thing and another person can pray for the exact same thing. It'll happen for this person and not for this person. I believe a lot of times it comes down to motive. Because God is saying, I want your motive to be that I'll be glorified. I do want to do those things for you, but not at the expense of my son. And not at the expense of him receiving glory. Now, there's also a verse in 1 John 5, verses 14 to 15. And this is the Apostle John speaking. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we have asked of him. So that seems to say, well, there you go. So if we pray God's will, and God's will is for me to be blessed and to prosper, then I should be able to get what I'm asking him for. But if, if, you, if you think that, then you're looking at this verse wrong, because it says if we ask anything according to his will, well, the, the will of God for each and every one of our lives, every person in this room, bar none, the first top priority, the will of God for our life is that Jesus Christ would be glorified through us. That is his number one goal, his will for each one of our lives. When someone asks me what's God's will for my life, that's the first thing I say. His will for your life is that your life would glorify Jesus, period. That's the end of it. Now, he's got other plans for us too, obviously. He's, his will is more than just, just glorifying Jesus, but that is the number one thing that God wants for each and every one of us. He is not willing to let the sacrifice that Jesus made be cast aside so that we can just have a good time and bring him along for the ride. He will not allow it. That's, that's, that's who, that's, he's so, God is a jealous God and he guards that very closely. That our motives have to be that Jesus would be glorified in our life. God looks at our heart. Now, you, you know the story of King David. You know, it said, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Well, and let's look at how we know he was a man after God's own heart and why God used him and blessed him so much and he was considered the greatest king that Israel ever had. Uh, if, you, if you know the story of King David, uh, it, it, back in that time, Israel's first king was, was Saul. Uh, and, you know, Saul started off okay. He did pretty good at the beginning, but then he kind of got into the flesh. He got into wanting to promote himself more than even promoting the Lord. And uh, through his sin, God stripped the, the kingship from him. And Samuel, the, the prophet at the time, the judge, he went to Saul and said, listen, because of your sin, God's taking the kingdom from you. And he's giving it to somebody better. And so God tells Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And I'm going to show you who to anoint there as the next king. So we'll pick it up in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. It says, When they arrived at um, Jesse's house, Samuel saw Eliab. Eliab was Jesse's oldest son. He was broad. He was, he was a warrior. He was a big dude. Fit the bill perfectly for what humans would think the next king would be. It says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. And every short person in the house said, amen. <laughs> For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Church, if we can get a hold of this, it cha it'll change our life. And if we can get a hold of this daily and remind ourselves daily, the Lord looks at our heart. He does not look at the appearance like man does. He looks at the heart. 
And I, you know, I've been reading in Samuel over the last couple weeks, just in my daily Bible reading. I'm just, I'm just there right now reading through that. And I, I get so excited when I get to Samuel because I love to read about David because, because I see that God can use somebody that's not perfect because he really does just want our heart. You know, David messed up more than a lot of people. I mean, he basically murdered somebody, had somebody murdered. Uh, he committed adultery. You know, for a while, while he was running from Saul, he was basically a mercenary. You know, he was uh, wiping out whole people groups for the money. Um, he was not perfect. He wasn't somebody that you would necessarily say, man, that guy just had it. But he had a heart after God. And it's so easy to see that when you read about David, his heart after God. So many of the Psalms where he's talking and it's just pouring out his heart to God. In fact, in Psalm 139, in verse 23 and 24, David says, search me, God. Now, this is a scary prayer. I want you to think about whether or not you can really pray this and mean it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a scary prayer to me. Search my heart, God. You know, it's okay to do that in the privacy of me and, and the Lord in my bedroom praying. But if, but if I really want him to expose my heart, I don't, I don't know if I want that. And that's not what God does. He's not here to expose us. But what I'm saying is to really let God in and to see the innermost parts of our hearts and to, to lead us in that way, that's a scary prayer because to do that, we have to be willing to give up control. And some, sometimes we're not willing to do that. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that God used David in even killing of Goliath was because of his heart. It, it's really cool. This kind of jumped out at me just this week as I was reading it. Um, you know, David was, he went to the battle lines uh, where they were, the Israelites were on one side of the valley, the Philippines, or the Philippines, the Philistines were on the other. <laughs> it's not the Philippines. It was the Philistines. Uh, they were on the other side. And, you know, Goliath would come out every day and taunt them and say, come on, send somebody out to fight me. You know, they were all terrified of him. And so much so that Saul, the king said, hey, if anybody will go out there and kill this guy, I'll give you my daughter as your wife, which was a huge deal. You're basically marrying in to the king. You're the king's family. You're part of the family. If you will kill this guy, your life's taken care of forever if you do this. And he still couldn't get anyone to go out and do it. And so David came up, and he was just there to feed, give some food for his brothers because his brothers were in the army. He was just there to give them some food, and he heard what was going on. And, and watch his response in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, see, David didn't say, who is this guy that's threatening my king? Who is this guy that's scaring my brothers and making my brothers, you know, tremble in their boots? Who is this guy that, that's messing with us Israelites? He said, who is this guy that's defiling the armies of the living God? He's offended for God because of what Goliath's doing. And you see his heart here. He, it was all about God. It was like, this is not okay because of what he's doing to God. He's defiling the name of God by, doing what, by saying the things he's saying and doing the things he's doing. And you know the story. God used him. He went and, and uh, took a slingshot and killed him. And, and the rest from that is history. He was, he was elevated at that point and eventually became the greatest king of Israel. Because God saw his heart, God used him. And a lot of people would say, you know, that God anointed him so he gave him his heart to be able to uh, to, to follow after God. But God, the Bible says that God saw his heart. Like he, he used him because he saw that he was a man after God's own heart. And that's why God used him in that setting. And I just believe if David had said, you know, man, I'm going to go kill this guy. I'm going to show him who's boss. Or, you know, if he'd, uh, you know, in modern days, if he'd uh, tweeted something out, you know, that I'm going to hashtag going to kill a giant today, you know, and had a lot of arrogance about it, then uh, 
Um, I, don't, I don't know if it would have worked out as well for him, but he was, he was all about defending the name of his God. And that's why God used him. So thirdly, to have lasting change, we have to live in denial. And I know, you know, it's kind of a little, little phrase there that can have a negative meaning and a positive meaning. In this, in this situation, it's very much a positive meaning. Um, I, I want to read Luke 9 again from the very beginning of my, my message today. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. It's so powerful for us that we need to know that the main thing that stands in the way of real change for us, for me and for you, is me and you. We are the thing that stands in the way of the change because God wants to do the work in us, but he's waiting, he's waiting for us to get our, our motives to where he would receive the glory and to trust his Holy Spirit to do the work in us. John the Baptist, um, you know, there, there's one verse in the Bible that, that has 10 years ago hit me like a ton of bricks and I think about it all the time. I read it all the time. It's one small verse. It's very easy to miss. It's in John 3 in verse 30 where John's talking and he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Such a profound statement from a guy that had a really thriving ministry and people were, were talking to him like they were asking him like, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're looking for? And he, was, he completely rejected that. And he was, he was always trying to keep people away, saying, no, 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 I'm, man, the, the Messiah's coming after me and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And that's the heart that God is looking for in each one of us, that we would become less and he would become more in each one of us. That is the heart of God in a nutshell, right there from that one phrase that John the Baptist said. Um, I read something the other day, or not too long ago, it said um, that a woman was, went to the store, she wanted to buy a shirt for her husband. And uh, I don't know what store it was, but she went in the store and she saw the tag on the shirt and it said shrink resistant. And she got to thinking and she thought, that's interesting because it doesn't say it's shrink proof or that it won't shrink. It just says shrink resistant. And so she thought, well, I'm going to go ask what this means because I guess she wanted to make sure this thing didn't shrink. And uh, so she went up to, and she found a salesman in the store and she must have found the, the, the sharpest, quickest, wittiest guy in there because she said, uh, excuse me, sir, what does this mean on here by shrink resistant? And the salesman says, well, that means it's going to shrink, but it really doesn't want to. <laughs> like, man, that's really, I mean, what can you say to that? You know, that's really great. And I think, you know, we don't want our clothes to shrink, obviously, because, you know, that, that can be weird if you wear a, a shirt that's too small and, and belly's hanging out and things, just, it's just not good. And, uh. But, you know, in, in the kingdom of God, in our life, and our relationship with the Lord, we, God doesn't want us to be shrink resistant. He wants us to be uh, very, very shrinkable. He wants us, his, his heart for us is that we would shrink, that we would become less and less, that he would become more and more in each one of us. That's his heart for us. So I want to challenge you today, don't be shrink resistant. You know, there's, there's no other aspect of life anywhere in the world that you will find where being less and shrinking back is a good thing except in the Christian life. That's the only place. Nowhere else do people ask you to just no, be less, you know, be less. Don't, don't be so much, be less. It's only Jesus that asks us to do this. And, and like I said earlier, he doesn't do it so that we can just be little nobodies walking around. He says it and he asks us and he requires it of us because he says, if you will do that, if you will allow, he doesn't want us just to become less. And John the Baptist got it. He said, I become less so that he becomes more. You know, we are not on this journey with Jesus and just kind of 
walking along and he's just kind of going with us. He wants to be our everything. He wants to take his place. You know, in Matthew 19, this is the story of the, the rich young ruler. You know, most of you probably know this story. This guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he kind of came in there, you know, thinking he had all the answers. And him and Jesus had a little back and forth. And eventually Jesus uh, tells him, he says, well, there's one thing you lack. Because he said he kept all the commandments since he was a kid. You know, had a little bit of arrogance to him. And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. You need to go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. And, you know, when you read that, and you could struggle with that because you think, well, that's not really fair. I mean, because that doesn't line up with really, Jesus does not make us sell everything to be a Christian. I don't think anybody in here had to get rid of everything you own to get saved. And if anybody ever tells you that, 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 that's that's not the word of God. But so why did he make this young, rich young ruler do this? And I would tell you today, it's because he knew his heart. He saw his heart was not in it. He saw that his heart was about bringing Jesus along. He's like, man, I got everything I need. I'm rich. I'm loaded. I got, I got cars. I got houses. I know they didn't have cars back then, but you know what I'm saying. I got chariots and I got houses. I got everything I need. All I need now is this salvation thing so I can make sure I go to heaven. I'm going to bring Jesus with me. So what do I got to do to get you to come with me and give me salvation? And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how this works. You know, I'm not just going to come along for the ride. He saw the pride and the arrogance in his life and knew that, that he wasn't really into it and that he was just really wanting to kind of add Jesus to his collection of stuff that he has. And Jesus pricked his heart and said, okay, sell everything you have and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. And, uh, and so his heart was exposed in that setting. And it's really actually kind of a sad story. Um, but, that, but the heart of God is that our heart would be that, yes, Lord, everything I have, you can have. You know, he doesn't, he wants us to have stuff. He doesn't mind us having stuff, but it's so important. We say this all the time. It's so important that we hold everything that we have with an open hand and trust God that God, it's all yours. It's all yours. My house, it's yours. My cars, they're yours. My savings account is yours. My 401k, it's yours. My marriage, it's yours. Everything I have, it's all yours. If you choose to give it back to me and allow me to, to, to be a steward of it, great. But I give it all to you, Lord, and I trust you with it. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, so since you've been saved, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So Paul's exhorting us here, he's reminding us to not set our minds on earthly things. He said, and this is why, because you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ. So he's talking again about getting saved. So you got saved and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's, telling, he's reminding us that we have to set our hearts. He's saying, God's not just going to make it real easy for you to where you just don't want anything anymore. I don't, know, I don't know if I know anybody that just doesn't care about having anything. They just want to love Jesus every day. Every, we all have those desires to have things and, and, and have our hearts set on those things. But he's saying, don't set your heart on those things. It's okay to have them as long as they don't have you. Amen? Set your heart and your mind on Jesus, on things above, because he is your life. If you are a Christian, if you are saved, he is your life. He's not part of your life. He's not your co-pilot. He's not coming along for the ride. He is your life. And we need to give our life to him. We need to wage an all-out, lifelong war against our ego. We need to wage an all-out, lifelong war against our ego. Because the ego is never going to completely go away and die. 
I'm told as you get older, it gets a little easier because you get more used to it. But I haven't reached that point in my life yet. I'm still in a war with my ego. And some days I win, some days I don't do as good as I hoped I'd do. But I'm telling you, I'm not giving up. I'm an intentional every day that I'm gonna deny my flesh, I'm gonna pick up my cross, and I'm gonna follow him. And I'm intentional about it, and I make conscious choices every day because the days I don't, I find myself getting in the flesh. It does not take long for the flesh to come back in and try to have its way with you. You cannot witness for Jesus and for yourself at the same time. We're either about ourselves, we're either about our business or about our father's business. We can't do it both together. They don't coexist. So in closing, and I'm going to close for like an hour and a half, so don't get excited. (laughs) Just kidding. Just making sure you're paying attention. Uh, Lastly, I will say, um, I'd like to ask you a question today. Do you want to live your life to impress or impact? Impress or impact? And I'm going to read you the definitions of both so you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about, where I'm going here. To impress means to make someone feel admiration and respect about me. It implies that it's about me. If I'm trying to impress you, it's all about me because I'm concerned about what you think of me. I want you to adore me. I want you to admire me. You know, when I was dating Joy or I was, when I was wanting her to date me, I tried to impress her. And it was about me. I was trying her to see me in a way that would make her think, hmm, I want to be with him. You know? And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it obviously worked out okay for me, so it's good. But, but that, that's, that's the one context where I would say, yeah, well, we try to impress each other sometimes and that's fine. But ultimately, our life should not be about us trying to impress others. You know, I, I can tell you guys, I, I'm just going to be really transparent with you. Every time I preach in this church, I'm always, I spend the day before, most of my prayer the day before I come up here to preach is, God, please, please, please don't let me make this about me. This is not about me. It is not about me. It doesn't matter what people think of me. It is about you. I'm here to make an impact on you through the power of God, through the spirit of God. I want to make an impact on you where, where your lives are impacted and it's not about me. I, my, my preference would be people walk out of here today and go, man, the message today was so powerful. Well, who preached? I don't know, but I just know it touched my heart. And I saw Jesus today. That's all I care about. And so to impact means to have a strong effect on someone or something. So do you want to impress or do you want to impact? Jesus came to impact not to impress people. We can say for sure what Jesus did not try to impress anybody. He was there to make an impact on people. And I believe that's the reason that people that weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. Because he was there to impact their lives. He changed their lives. People that weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. But we can't always say that about the church. People that aren't like church people don't always like church people. Because I think we spend too much time trying to impress and show the world how spiritual we are and show them our stances on stuff rather than loving them and making an impact in their life and showing them and being the hands and feet of Jesus in their life, right? That is why if we, are, if we live our life to make an impact and that's the focus of our life, I believe that's how we go through trials and tribulations in our life with victory. That's how we walk in freedom because when you're here to make an impact, it's not about you, Right? Like, um, I'll just tell you guys briefly, my, you know, most of you know that my mom passed away about two weeks ago, um, two or three weeks ago. And, you know, she was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma the day before Thanksgiving last year. And she went through chemo for six months. And then uh, at the end of chemo, went back and got a scan. This was about three and a half months ago. She got a scan and the scan came back completely clear 
I even announced it here at church. A lot of you probably were here. We were all excited. We were praising God. The chemo worked, and we were excited and rejoicing. And three months later, she went for her checkup. You have to go back, I guess, every three months. And her first checkup, they said, mm, something's not right here. So they took some blood. I drove up there right away because I wanted to be there when she got the results because we felt like something was up. And uh, was in the, at the, in the hospital with her. Me and my, one of my brothers and my sister-in-law were in there with her. And the doctor came in and said, uh, the cancer's back and it's not lymphoma anymore. It's leukemia and it's the worst kind. And you have about a week to live. Just out of the blue. And the doctor was there for about two to three minutes and was gone. And, and just left us there to, <laughs> to take this all in. And the, the first thing I asked my mom, I looked at her and I said, are you scared? And she said, no, I know where I'm going. Like she was, she was resolved in her heart and in her mind that she knew where she was going and she was going to walk through this, these last days of her life. She was going to walk through it with grace and with honor and, and trusting God through the whole thing. And that's exactly what she did. And I'm telling you, now my mom was not perfect. She had her, she had her shortcomings. But what I could tell you is that she made an impact in people's lives that last week of her life because of how she handled the situation that she was going through. I heard from countless people that they could not believe how much, how she, she was encouraging people. People were coming to the house to visit her and they were crying and saying, we're so sorry. And she's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. And she's hugging them. She's encouraging people that are coming to see her. And I can tell you today that I have a, I'm more resolved in my, in my knowledge and faith, knowing that God is faithful and that he is good and that he loves us. I'm more resolved today than I ever have been before. And it's some of it is because of the impact my mom made on me that last week of her life. And I'm so thankful for that. And that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, we can't just look at our life like, well, if I'm saved, God should help me and take care of me and, and get me through all my situations and make it so that everything's good and, and, and he just works it all out for me. He doesn't always. You know, it didn't work out for, for us missing our mom. It didn't work out real well. I wasn't ready to see her go. But, but ultimately, she made an impact on lives, and God was glorified through it. And I'm okay with that. And I know she's okay with it now. She wouldn't come back for all the money in the world now because she knows where she is. And, I, you know, we think of the hurricanes. There's been hurricanes, and there's earthquakes in Mexico and all kinds of stuff going on. And, I, you know, the question that, that the world asks, and sometimes we even as Christians, we ask, why? Why is this happening? You know, we try to put God in a box and say, well, this is happening because this is God's judgment on this, or this is global warming, or this is this. And it's like, you know what? We don't, we don't have to figure it out. But what I can tell you is that no matter what we're going through, I believe with all my heart, the Christians in Puerto Rico are impacting lives on that island today. I believe it with every ounce of my being. And we, we impact lives by knowing that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about denying ourselves. It's about dying to ourselves. It's about taking up that cross, and it's about following Jesus every day and glorifying him in our lives and making an impact in this world. You know, if, Pastor Bowen says this all the time. If, if the goal of life was just to get saved, as soon as we got saved, God would just whisk us up to heaven. We'd be out of here. But that's not our goal in life. That's the first goal. Just like his first will for us is that we glorify Jesus, his first goal for us is that we get saved. But after that, getting saved is day one of life. It's not the last day. It's the first day of life because he has a job for us to do here. And he wants to use us to impact the world for his glory, that people would come to a knowledge of Jesus. He chooses to use us as believers to be his hands and feet and to lead others to him. And if we don't do it, who will? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys to stand with me today as I close. I'm going to ask the prayer team and the praise team to come.
I hope this has challenged you, but also encouraged you today, because I do believe with all my heart that, that Mark 9 is so freeing. Jesus saying to deny yourself, to me, that takes the pressure off of us. You know, does anyone here like to be in charge ever? Some of us like to be in charge. Some of us don't ever want to be in charge, right? But for those of us that like to be in charge, I like to be in charge sometimes. But the, one of the beauties of when you are in charge is when you're not in charge, it just feels really good to have that burden off of you. You know, the Sundays that I don't preach when I come in here, I'm much more happy-go-lucky on those Sundays than I am today because I, I feel the weight of what's going on. And the beauty of Jesus saying, deny yourself, he's saying, listen, you're not in charge. Like the, the, the burden, the responsibility of working everything out and making sure everything's just right is not up to you. All I'm asking you to do is just give yourself to me. I'll fill you with my spirit and you can trust me and I'll empower you and you'll be, you'll be more powerful than you were before when you tried to do it on your own. That's a wonderful thing. So um, let me just close again with this story. This is my third closing, I think. Um, you know, uh, Vietnam and Laos, two countries in Southeast Asia, they border each other. Smaller, they're smaller nations. Everybody knows Vietnam. Not many people know Laos. But uh, back in the day before they actually had a, a defined border between the two countries, um, the, the king of Laos and the king of Vietnam got together to decide who, how they were going to tax the people that lived really close to the border. They didn't know which side they were on because um, they wanted to make sure that they taxed them based on, uh, or that, you know, each country got the taxes that they had coming to them. And so what they decided to do was that if they would go to these places and see if the people, if the person ate long or uh, short grain rice, built their house on stilts and, uh, and had like Indian serpents for decorations in their house, that those people would pay taxes to Laos because they were, they, were, uh, they were exhibiting the characteristics of the, of the Laotian culture. And if they'd go out and the house was built on the ground and they ate long grain rice and they decorated with Chinese dragons, then those people were considered Vietnamese and they paid their taxes to Vietnam. It wasn't based on where they were. It was based on the cultural uh, qualities that they exhibited in their life. And I found that so fascinating because I thought, man, for us as believers, like if, 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 our, if we were taxed based on the cultural characteristics that we exhibit in our life, would we, be, would we be taxed to pay to the kingdom of God or to the kingdom of this world? Because the characteristics that we should be exhibiting as part of the kingdom of God would be denying ourselves, knowing that it's not about us, that our life is about somebody else. It's about Jesus. It's about the one who paid the price for us so that we could even be here. And so I, I would hope today that that would be our desire is that obviously the analogy is not perfect because we don't pay taxes to the kingdom of God, but in the analogy, understand where I'm coming from, that where, does, where are the qualities, the cultural qualities that we exhibit? Does it look more like the world or does it look more like the kingdom of God? And I would just hope today that our prayer would be that we would exhibit the qualities of the kingdom of God. And I know it is, I know it is for us. That's our, that's our desire. But are we willing to take the step? Are we willing to go that, that next step and say, okay, God, it's hard for me to deny myself. My flesh is strong and it wants its way, but I'm choosing today and I'm going to make a commitment today that I'm going to be intentional every day about laying down my life, about denying myself, picking up my cross and following you. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to wage an all-out lifelong war against my ego starting today. And maybe you've done it in the past and you've kind of got back into the flesh a little bit. You want to recommit that today. That's all God asks. He doesn't ask us to figure it all out. He wants us. He just wants our heart. He cares about our heart. 
So as we're praying, you know, if you want to pray at your seat, that's fine. If you want to come up here and pray by yourself at the altar, that's fine. If you want to get prayed for by somebody up here, that's fine too. However you want to do it. But I don't leave this place today without committing that to the Lord, that I'm going to wage war against myself in the best way possible. And I would challenge you today too, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life to him, if you, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, if none of this even makes sense to you because you've never lived for anybody except for yourself, then I would challenge you today, don't leave this place today without giving your heart to him. Don't leave, don't go another minute without knowing that your name is written in his book. He has a book of life that he has. He literally writes our name in it when we give our life to him so that we can be with him. You know, there's all this talk about the end of the world. And uh, Pastor Bone and I were talking earlier this week and he said, you know, we we're kind of laughing about it because you just don't know. But he said, you know, it's funny because they talk about Jesus coming back next week. He's like, Jesus is coming today for somebody. You know, he's coming today. He's coming today for somebody. He's coming this afternoon for somebody. He's coming tonight for somebody. We just, we don't know. We don't, not guaranteed of any more time, you know? And so don't delay. Don't, don't wait. Don't put it on the back burner. If you've been backslidden, if you just kind of walked away, you, you know the Lord, but you just kind of let the world and let your flesh kind of take over, come back to him today. There's no better time than today to come back to Jesus. He's here welcoming you with open arms. Let him take his place in your life. Just encourage you today as you pray. We're going to sing. If you want to sing along, just want to pray at your seat or pray up here, whatever you want to do. We're just going to take the next few minutes and just uh, spend this time just seeking the Lord. So God bless you as you pray.